Hi, I'm Mungi. Welcome to the Everyday Ubuntu podcast. Ubuntu is known as Africa's gift to the world. It's the philosophy that highlights our common humanity and the idea that we are all interconnected. Social justice is in my genes, with my family being very active in the fight to end apartheid, and my grandfather, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, heading up the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. This show is about what we can learn from the human experience when we realize we are interconnected and acknowledge each other's point of view. The Ubuntu way of life has brought my life so much value and learning, and I hope it can bring you the same. If you liked today's episode, hit subscribe, give the show a review, and join me as I talk to amazingly inspiring guests who are on a similar journey, fighting for justice and learning along the way. Today, I'm speaking with international DJ, artist, and producer, Cuppy. She started her career as a resident DJ at the MTV Africa Music Awards in Durban. She's the founder of the Cuppy Foundation and an ambassador for Save the Children UK. Her single, Jollof on the Jet, was released last month and is from her debut album, Original Copy. She recently became the host of Africa Now Radio, Apple Music's first African radio show, and has been described as one of the most sought-after DJs on the continent. Here's our conversation. Thank you for joining me, Cuppy. I'm so excited to be speaking with you today. Um, and I definitely want to start by saying, so you go by Cuppy, and as someone who is also from the continent and goes by a nickname, why Cuppy and what does it mean? Um, I mean, Cuppy started off as a nickname, but it's now my brand name. And, you know, it's a name that I identify with. Cuppy came from literally Cupcakes. Um, I used to love baking when I was younger and, you know, I think I started to look like a cupcake, Oh, you know, so everyone used to call me cupcake and, you know, obviously cup, cupcake is a great representation of, you know, just sweetness, femininity, creativity. And when it came to choosing a DJ name at 16, I felt like it was quite fitting. Ooh, that makes me think of, you know, Africans, they have no shame. They'll call you anything that comes oh, to mind. Yeah. Anything that they think you look like, that is it. That's I your name. Cuppy, wow, you're looking so big. Okay. <laughs> I think I had an aunt once who said it's not um it's not fat baby, it's just baby fat. And I'm like, okay, thank okay. you. Yeah. Um so what else I wanted to ask you is my mom once did, she's a speaker and she did a speech where the man had listened to her intro and her speech. And then at the end, he came up to her and had all these assumptions about her just from hearing her introduction. Mm. And she said to him, yeah, but like my resume does not explain fully who I am as a person. And I was wondering when you go around and you speak and you're introduced to people, if there's something in your introduction that's missing that people should know about you? That's a great question. Um, I think that, you know, philanthropy is really important to me. So that's something that people often um, just shadow. And I think, um, yeah, I think I think they get the music bits. And I think they also miss out on the entrepreneurial side of me as well. So that's something that I also like. That. This may be a bit of an elephant in the room, but you know, I keep seeing all these pictures of you around London eating jollof. And I have a six-year-old goddaughter who her mom is Ghanaian and her dad is Nigerian. Mm. Oh, and wow. so I've, I've had both types, but I don't know which one I prefer. And I'm guessing you're saying the Nigerian one is the better jollof. 
I wouldn't say it's the better jollof. Like, I love Ghana. Ghana is super dear to me. I, I spent a lot of time there. I have a home there. And Accra is actually the inspiration behind Jollof on the Jet, the record, was a trip. I was flying from Accra to Lagos and I was on the plane eating jollof rice. And a few of my cupcakes, my fans asked me, oh, you know, was the jollof rice Nigerian or Ghanaian, to be honest? <laughs> I think it was Nigerian. You got everybody, you heard it here first. <laughs> but I know I haven't said, I haven't told anyone. But um, to be honest, they're both different types. So I find uh, Ghanaian jollof, um, it has this smoky flavor. It's a bit more dry, um, a little bit also less spicy. Uh, Nigerian jollof has more like tomato paste. And, you know, we like to add what we call atarodo. You know, we make mm -hmm. it really spicy. So it depends on what mood you're in. Um, and actually, while we're talking about food, like a lot of my cupcakes also keep saying, why is there just jollof on your plate? Like, where's the meat? Um, I saw someone say that yeah, to you. Yeah, keep asking me why. Um, I'm I'm vegan, so I don't eat meat or dairy or poultry or fish or anything. So um, to be fair, I do eat jollof rice with a bit of plantain. Um, but yeah, that is why. <laughs> Does anybody say to you, well, you're African, how can you not eat meat? Always, like mm. 100% always. Um, but I just, you know, I also don't have anything against it. Like most people around me, like my family, like, you know, everyone eats meat, you know. So if you want to have your jollof and, you know, kill an, an animal, kill an animal, put an animal in there, that's up to you. <laughs> I will have it with lamb, but you have it. You have it with your plantains. <laughs> um when did you first get interested in making music? Was it, you know, like you were young, young or later in life? And obviously we're both like late 20s. So later in life is what teenager, basically. Um, music was something that was always natural to me because I was born in Lagos and Lagos is like the most dynamic city ever. And so it was really natural for me just having those elements of music. And um, yeah, so what happened was I found myself in a position where um, I was leaving Nigeria at um, like 13 years old and music was really the thing that helped me. I was so homesick, like leaving Nigeria and coming to the UK, like it's such a change, a cultural change, you know, everything just felt like it was sudden. It's so different, you know, um, the food was different. Uh, the races were different. Like I was this young black girl with a thick African accent with short hair. And I just felt really out of it in my environment. And, um, you know, like the UK 10 years ago is not what the UK is now. Mm. And so they weren't as open and as accepting. And my parents, I kid you not, moved me overnight. So it was quite the experience for me. So music was the one thing that when I missed home, I could always identify and go back to. Oh, I love that. So then who who are some of your favorite artists? You know, were they, does your music sound like them or were they just people that you returned to and listened to? Yeah, they were people I, I returned to and listened to. I think, you know, Fela Kuti is one that really stands out for me because I have memories of sitting down in Lagos traffic with my dad listening to my favorite Fela song is called Yellow Fever. That's what I remember from my childhood. Now, my teenage years, I mean, that's when we had a massive, like, 
outpouring of, you know, Dibanj was like our first superstar. And we had at the time, we had Nato C, we had Ikechuku, we had Sasha. Um, you know, we had so many different people and it was the era or rather the pre-era of the African global superstar. So it was it was really exciting. And again, like nobody was really proudly listening to African music back then. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were all listening to it, but I remember I would have my iPod and just, just quietly in the corner. And now, I mean, you know. Now it's the hot thing. We'll, we'll leave it to that. Kwaito, mm-hmm. house, everything. Now everybody loves it. Mm-hmm. Um, so with this music, how does it feel to be the host of Apple Music's first African radio show? I mean, it's, it's just like, it's life-changing. You know, I, I told everyone, I said, when I found out, when I got that call, I told everyone, I said, I landed the dream job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to sit here and like celebrate, but then also, you know, it's about damn time, you know? And I think... I think this has been in the works for a long time for many organizations. And I'm so proud that Apple have taken a stance and have literally been able to get on with it and roll this out. Um, I've been wanting to curate and obviously I've been passionate about Africa for a long time. And Apple always shared, shared these visions with me, but it was just a matter of how to represent it, how to materialize these ideas. And I had my demo about a year ago. Uh, okay so it's been building yeah um went really well you know you have your demo and you're like yeah killed it (laughs) and then it's like one month two months three months four months five months six months then by the seventh month you're like okay i'm just gonna like you know it is they don't want me Yeah. yeah and you know i just want your listeners to understand like for every yes, I get like five no's and I'm used to it. So a lot of my my cupcakes, they're like, oh my gosh, yeah, Cuppy's winning. But to get to those amazing moments, there's a lot of hard work and rejection. And, you know, like for everything that goes my way, a lot of things don't. So I really want people to understand that. Um, so anyway, I didn't hear back and I let it go and I moved on with my life and I started working on my album and just literally during quarantine, like five months ago, I just get a call like, hey, it's Apple Music. Remember that demo? Yay, we like it. Let's do it. And I'm like, wow, you know, wow. So it's really, it's really been so exciting and organic. And like, it's so nice that something that we did a year ago, they really took their time to develop and now you know being the host of the weekly show is amazing um i don't consider myself a radio presenter it's not it's so much more than a radio show it's a curation Mm -hmm. it's a journey because it's heavily linked to our playlist called africa now which is the biggest and best and then there's other amazing things apple are doing we just also launched our um, africa rising playlist for the next gen of africa and so you know it's so much more it's heavy curation and i'm proud so proud to be the face of it I'm, I mean, I'm very happy and I'm proud as well to have someone like you representing us, but also that you're very honest about it. You know, this stuff doesn't just come. It's difficult. It takes time. Um, and you mentioned your debut album, original copy, which will be released soon as well. Yeah. I mean, so like I said, I had, 
when I thought that opportunity wasn't happening, I just kind of got on with my life. Yeah. So I started working on my album. So from about November till like February, I started really focusing on the album. And the album was ready by March. And then obviously the last place I was in was South Africa. Last place I was in was Cape Town. And I remember thinking, oh yeah, I'm gonna go to London and do this, do that, then, you know, shoot all my videos, but, you know, left Cape Town and then lockdown started happening. But the album was ready and it was, you know, I had already told all my cupcakes about it, but the Apple Music opportunity um, was really important to me to really get in my elemental. I pushed the album back. Um, again, you know, I'm gonna tell you cause I'm, I'm loving this conversation. Uh, the album, March, April. The album basically is coming out four months later than it was meant to come out, um, you know, which is a little bit frustrating, but some great things happened in between, like the radio show. Yeah. And I also got signed. Um, I signed with Platoon, who's an amazing music company. Um, they're responsible for the likes of, you know, Billie Eilish and Malik Berry and Mr. Easy and Georgia Smith. So to be part of that um, is amazing. Like, I just, it really, it forced me to level up. And, you know, I was going to put out the album as I put out everything else as a free spirit. But working with such an important music um, music company, you kind of listen to the album again, like, okay. <laughs> let me fix that. Yeah, I'm like, uh, yeah, let, you know, like, let's take that part out. <laughs> I might retake that part. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I should be cheersing to you right now, but it's too early in the U.S. for me to have a drink and it be well, appropriate. Here's water. So, yeah, that's what I have. So cheers. Cheers to you. Cheers to, um, cheers I, I mean, I'm excited about this and I'm sure my listeners are as well. Um, you mentioned that music was sort of your comfort when you made the move mm -hmm. from Nigeria to the UK. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember I was... My whole entire family is South African, but I was born and raised in the U.S. And people are, you know, always asking me in interviews how I handle the different cultures or what they call us, like, third culture kids. Um, third culture kids. Yeah. And so, I mean, besides music, you know, what, what else helped you? What was it like in the beginning? I remember when I moved back to the U.S. from being in South Africa, someone called me an African booty scratcher and I started crying. And my mom was like, what does that even mean, Mungi? Why are you crying? And I was what, like, I don't, what, what I don't does, know. What does it mean? I, to this day, I still don't know, but it was very upsetting at the time. It's a bit dramatic. Uh, so they, what, they're saying that you're not authentically African? No, no, they, they were just, they were saying that being African was not a great thing in the US. And so I'm wondering, you know, Besides your music, what else sort of comforted you when you moved to the UK? Because that is that is a bit of a shock. A hundred percent. Honestly, the music and just the fact that my parents wanted me to have a good education. You know, I come from a very entrepreneurial family and I always felt like it was my responsibility to make my family proud and I was just grateful for the opportunity to be able to have access to, you know, an international education. So music was kind of what got me through, but 
the pressure of, you know, the unto whom much is given, much is expected. So, you know, I'm aware that I was in a rare position to have access to world-class education and I just didn't want to let my parents down. Um, so that also, yeah, I'm not going to say, so the music comforted me, but the little, you know, kick up the backside was, Go mm-hmm. and do well in school. <laughs> Remember what we're doing for you. Exactly. And, you know, I look back and I, I'm super grateful, you know, and I can only hope I can do the same for my children. And my educational experience has actually really helped and shaped who I am today as a woman, as an entrepreneur, you know. I still am doing what I want to do, but I'm doing it in a very global way. I'm doing it in a professional way. I don't, you know, take nonsense from anybody because education really gives you that power. I I agree. And speaking of education, but also, you know, this, you said philanthropy is important to you. Mm-hmm. I want us to talk about the Cuffy Foundation because I did some reading and saw that it focuses on child protection issues, mm-hmm. especially edu- education for girls, which is something that is very important to me. I think education for women and girls is like the number one thing that our world needs. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh, this one is a real one. Like, let us let us talk about this foundation. Can you tell us more about it? Absolutely. So I started the Cuppy Foundation about two, three years ago with just a simple motive to just send a few um, individuals to university. So I came across um, certain people with disabilities that just needed going to university. And it kind of grew, it grew from 10 people to like, you know, well over that. And my team kind of, as they would, kind of said, you know, Cuppy, you can't just keep going into your pocket and just sending people money. You need to legitimize this. So I started the foundation in order to help people. And again, it was all pretty much self-funded and it was on the side. And I started working with um, certain organizations like Global Citizen. Um, I'm an ambassador for education um, with them alongside Rihanna. And then I started doing some- All right, casual. You know, <laughs> you know, Rihanna and I went to Dakar at the, you know, educational conference, just trying to trying to change the world. And then, um, and then um, you know, I started coming across just heavy policymakers. And I realized that, it was beyond just lending a voice. It was actually about being active. And I looked into my own country because I was, you know, I was, I almost felt like I was lending my voice for a lot of other people. And I looked at, I'm thinking, I'm sitting here talking about, you know, these girls, for example, in Senegal. What about my, my, my little girls in Nigeria? And I looked in and this was the heat and the height of the Boko Haram crisis. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh, we need to educate girls, Right. But then I find out girls can't even get educated because they're walking to school and getting killed and they're in the middle of conflict. So then it really took my focus from education down to just primary health care and protection. And so I worked with uh, Save, Save the Children, who's like a phenomenal organization, mm-hmm. um, to really focus on young children. You know, that was what I needed to do at the time. And we were able to you know, build some stabilization centers, provide health care, primary care. You know, again, when I was I was able to go to the what they say is the most dangerous part of Nigeria, which is Medugri Bono states. And I was literally the last thing you want to do is give one of these young girls a book because they're dying of malnutrition. So I felt like we needed to solve that issue first. And then also their mothers are so young, creates 
organizations and programs that help nurture and educate these young mothers so they can be better mothers for their children and then the cycle starts to break so I'm really proud of what I've been able to do there um and yeah the company foundation has done some pretty epic things um you know I don't know how to do things small we had an amazing gold gala um in November and we broke the record for I think the most fund funds raised um in any um Nigerian um fundraiser which was exciting and those funds will be used to um to further invest into the Save the Children campaigns and development as well. I also work with the Dangote Foundation quite closely because they have a lot of malnutrition um, programs around the country. Um, yeah, and I'm just really excited. You know, I just feel like I'm here because someone gave me a chance, someone helped me. And again, to whom much is given, much is expected. So I would, I could have the biggest song in the world, I could have the most followers, but if I'm not doing what I can to give back, and if I'm not creating a lane for other young copy to come through, then I failed. That's honestly how I feel. I feel like you're in my head because um, <laughs> what I wanted to ask next is I, I wanted to say, you know, so my family raised me on Ubuntu, which is, you know, about our shared humanity yeah. and and about how you carry yourself in the world. So even in those moments where life is great for you and you're feeling good, it's about how you're helping people who are not in those circumstances. I mean, not in those circumstances. That 100%. is exactly what I was like this. And then you just said all of that. I mean, so is there some sort of philosophy that sort of guides you? Because I mean, it, even if you weren't practicing Ubuntu, it sounds like you are. Really? Yeah. Mm, I need to look into that. Um, <laughs> you know, my I don't really have a philosophy, but I definitely believe you know, I'm quite into my faith. I'm a practicing Christian and I've always believed in like I'm a very I'm quite a spiritual person and I just really strongly believe you know I'm not Buddhist but I've also strongly believed in karma Mm -hmm. and strongly believed in energies and it's I think it's so important you know you really truly get out what you put in and you know there's an energy and universal love you can give and you can get and you know the older I'm getting the more I'm realizing that and the things that fulfill me are very much much more often now these days outside worldly things you know I'm becoming less materialistic I'm becoming more in touch with my inner peace I'm maturing I'm 27 now so you know I'm 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 prioritizing a bit more different okay well you I feel like you're maybe a bit of an old soul I don't I mean we say this as as I sit here with with a very young vibe. <laughs> I know, I know, right? But mm. okay, so then again with this music, whenever I've watched documentaries or listened to stories about artists, like how they got where they are, it always seems like the most difficult thing. And mm. that like this journey sort of requires hard work, of course, but then also patience. And you know, you said it took Apple a year to get back after the demo. And so, I mean, you said, I guess your faith is what sort of sustains you in those moments, like 100%. waiting a year. How how does someone do that? Yeah, um, you know, and I don't know, a lot of people, it doesn't have to be waiting for, waiting for a call from Apple Music. You know, we wait for a year with anything, with relationships, with jobs, with um, just even health, with anything, with developing skills. And I've learned to exercise patience because in my industry, if you're not patient, ooh, you will drive yourself crazy. You're always going to feel like there's someone better. You're always going to feel like there's someone 
um, more talented, richer. You know, entertainment can really, really exhaust you. And I'm so grateful that I've been able to develop just patience and self self peace. Mm. Um, because yeah, it can be very exhausting. And I think it's just knowing that everyone's path is and journey is different. You know, for me, I honestly don't I no longer thankfully compare myself to other people. I used to do it all the time. I used to say to my manager, oh, how come he got the job? How come this happened? You know, why Why am I being challenged as an African? Why am I being challenged as a woman, as a black person? Um, you know, it's easy to get into victimization and I just fight it now. And I, I, I look at what I have rather than what I don't have. You know, I'm like, oh, I could see him and think, oh my gosh, you know, Mungi, um, I don't have a Grammy. But I have other things, you know? Right. And it's that positive attitude and mindset that I think will push through. I I, I like that. Uh, yeah. I have a home. I have food. So that's... You know what I'm saying? And I have great friends and there's so much to be grateful for. Obviously, it's not always easy, but it's important to also um, have that mentality. Like the way I start my mornings, I start it very positive. Um, you know, that kind of cliche, but kind of like, I don't allow any bad energy near me. I'm very, you know, I try my best not to. I try and protect my energy. Mm. So I think, you know, here in the U.S. and also in the U.K., you can't really go anywhere these last two months without hearing about racism. Yes. And, I mean, I think that's a good thing. Everybody needs to be aware. But I think how we experience racism is sort of different depending mm-hmm on the context, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, I think it sits in our bodies and our souls the same way, no matter the context. Mm -hmm. So how have you dealt with it in the, in the UK, but also in the music industry? Um, You know, racism has always been a very interesting subject and something that I can't lie. I wasn't as self-aware of Mm -hmm. um, because I grew up in Nigeria. I was born there where, you know, um the bus driver is black but the banker is black too the lawyer is black the richest man is black you know and I grew up in an environment where there was less of a division you know what's interesting I actually had my most racist experiences in America I lived in New York for two years I went to NYU for my master's and that's where I definitely felt oh ooh. I was going to ask you that. I was going to say, do you think the UK was different than the US as well? I I went to London for my undergrad and the UK, I did not even, I was aware of it, but it just was not the same. It wasn't as amplified as the US. I felt like in the US every day I was being reminded I'm black. Um, And that was really different for me. And I just want to say this, like, you know, on the race issue, like it's always been difficult for me. I haven't really said this to anyone, but because I'm from Nigeria and I grew up around black people winning, it's mm-hmm. always been very difficult for me to identify with um, some some issues. So 100%, I know for a fact, for 100% that black lives have been compromised. There's no such thing as equal um, equality. Um, but I also grew up in a place where I been always equal to everybody else in terms of my race so making that adjustment so you kind of sit there and you're thinking wow back home this issue doesn't exist 
but I come here and it does exist. Mm-hmm. And it's actually strange. It, you know, it makes me feel like, wow, maybe that's one of the good things we're doing back home. <laughs> you know, everyone talks about how Africa has so many problems. Maybe we are good at, you know, we're not definitely bad at doing the gender thing, but at least the race thing, you know, we have, right? Because, I mean, most people that are black. Are black. But, you know, for me, it's it, it's something that I've had so many, so many people come against me but I don't know why a lot of the time for me as well it's just been the combination it's I don't think it's only been because I'm black it's been because I'm a woman or it's been because of my family background or it's been because of my education or it's been because of my parents you know it's always been blackness has always been a factor for me um but it's so interesting because the same things that I think sometimes have closed doors have opened them you know and I don't think there's a better time right now to be a black person because we're unapologetically us and we're, we're the world, not only are we, we the world is seeing our value. There you go. Well, I didn't even see your shirt. We are, on our, we are so proudly, unapologetically who we are. And finally, the world is almost here for it. But we don't care whether or not they are. We're going to do what we're going to do, you know? And um, it's just been quite epic times. I mean, let's be honest. They everybody loves our culture, our music, our food, our hairstyles. So we can just now start being honest about it. I think. Um, so then, what would you say is the most important thing you've learned about yourself in life so far in your twenty-seven years? Ooh, that's a really good question, Mungi. The most important thing I've learned about myself. It's probably um, I've learned that I'm responsible for my own happiness. You know, I used to think, ooh, you know, I remember sitting like all these things like, you know, I remember my, so my manager, Elizabeth, has been with me for seven years. And I remember sitting to her and saying, ooh, when I get this, amount of followers I'll be so happy Ooh, mm-hmm. when I get signed I'll be happy oh my gosh you know I remember thinking oh uh when I did my demo with Apple once I get the job oh my gosh I'll be so happy and um you know when I meet this person or when I get to this weight or when I just make this amount of money and what happens is you just start like constantly hitting those achievements and the feeling is just so lukewarm because you want more you just always want more I don't want to ever stop I you know I now want to do more I want to I want to constantly improve and it becomes this crazy mad rat race and is exhausting and so I've learned and I would tell my younger self like you know you mustn't look look at external things to make you happy and so that's why I think philanthropy has become so important for me because it's it's fulfilling and mm-hmm. that crazy rat race just doesn't stop, you know. Um, I could win a Grammy tomorrow and then I'll say, well, oh, oh, Beyonce has, you know, 30 Grammys. Oh, I've got to get 30 now. Oh, wow, okay, well, I mean, I hit Beyonce's. What about, you know, Michael Jackson's? And it just doesn't stop. And I just need to not get into that and... It's something that I've realized. I'm constantly in competition now with myself. 
Good. That's all it is. And I really want your listeners to try and adopt that as well. I like that. I like that. And then, so for the little girl back on our continent who needs to know that, you know, it, it takes her and not anyone else that she can achieve what you have. What is some advice or inspiration that you would share? Is there, is there the best advice you've gotten from someone that you would share with her? Mm, um, for the little girl, I would say, um, I would say, you know, do what you want to do for you. You know, I'm in this place where I'm realizing, like, it's not selfish to prioritize yourself. No. Because honestly, if you don't do what you want to do for you on those hard days, it's going to be almost impossible and you'll want to give up. So honestly speaking, like, you have to try and find what you love and make it into a job. You know, I say find a job you love. You never have to work a day in your life. Um, if you're working and doing what you do for someone else, there's going to be those hard days and you're going to really struggle with it. And naturally, we do what we do, what we love well, you know. So there's a lot of people in careers that I'm not saying it's going to be easy. You know, even <laughs> me with my dream job, like at 4 a.m., I'm like, I wish I could be sleeping right now or I'm tired or I'm like, oh, I wish I didn't have to wear makeup today. But actually, to be fair, these days, I just like is what it is this is the new showbiz <laughs> every day I'm like I don't want to wear makeup you know what I'm saying at least you look like do you have a little bit on I put a little yeah, bit out I mean today. you know sorry sorry guys I'm here I am <laughs> this is the the original copy and you know it just kind of starts getting getting to a point where you know anybody like because I have so many fans that are like copy was so jealous of your job and I promise you anything as soon as it's a job it's just different you know, it, yes, I travel around the world and it's exciting, but sometimes I actually want to sit down and relax and, you know, maybe sometimes I want to be able to finish a book, you know, or I want to be able to cook or go on a date, you know, and so everything comes with sacrifice, but my advice is really do what you do for passion. Everything else will come, the money will come, the validations will come, but do what you want to do for passion because you need that to drive you you know, on the days that it's hard, on the days that I'm tired and I'm frustrated or I've had a bad day and I still have to DJ, it's the fact that I love music that keeps me going. I've turned my passion into a profession. And that's it. I like that. So then what would you say is your greatest fear for humanity and what kind of things do you practice to help stop this fear coming to pass? Um, I've never really thought about that, honestly speaking. My fear for humanity. I don't have one. I think mm-hmm. that my faith overcomes my fear. Mm-hmm. And I constantly think that God is in control. And so um, maybe it's a concern. You know, I'm concerned with um, the pressures that we society puts on us and we put on ourselves. Um, I'm concerned with the way we measure success and the way we measure, you know, accolades and accomplishments. They're very worldly things. 
but I'm not scared because I feel like at every given moment, you know, everything is as it's meant to be. Right. So then, okay. So with your faith, what is your greatest hope for humanity? And what are you doing besides the Copy Foundation to make that hope a reality? Um, I feel like that's just such, such an interesting question. I wouldn't be able to answer that without really thinking about it. Um, and that would take me a while. So <laughs> I'll think about it. Our next, our next podcast, I'll answer it. <laughs> I like that. Well, if I can help in any way with the Cuppy Foundation, please, please let me know. Thank you so much. And also thank you for sitting down with me and talking to me. Um, and I'm excited for the full album to come out. Thank you. And thank you for your you know, your amazing questions. It's always nice when I'm challenged and I will think about your question and I hope I can answer for answer, answer, answer it soon. Um, but it's definitely given me something, something to think about. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation today and don't forget to hit subscribe and give the show a rating and review wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Follow me at mungi.ingomane on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you and get your feedback on the show. I'll be back in a week with a new episode. Thank you for listening to Everyday Ubuntu.